And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm sorry. You can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. Bald American goalkeepers, giant hapless centre-halves, functional wide men, set-piece specialists, defensive midfield enforcers signed off the back of a 7 out of 10 major tournament, flash-in-the-pan foreign goalscorers, and Yakubu. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés and the definitive... Barclays Premier League 11. Right now, you can enjoy The Athletic for just £3.99 a month as part of our January sale. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod and sign up. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 51 of the Clichés Pod. It's a new year, but it's the same old voices. I'm Adam Hurry and with me is Charlie Eccleshare. Hi Charlie, how are you? I'm good, how are you Adam? Yeah, not too bad. Um, how in tune do you think you are with the concept of, of Barclays and and pure Barclays and what what it is we're ultimately talking about today? Have you got your head around it? Um, yeah, I think so, but I'm quite enjoying getting my head around it a bit more and really nailing it mm. down. Um, mm. I think I have a sense, you know, some of the essence of um, of Barclays, but yeah, the, the beauty of it is there is, it seems like there's quite a lot of scope for disagreements, so. Absolutely. Let's crack on. Yeah, absolutely. Alongside you to, to help us navigate through this is uh, is Nick Biller. Hello, Nick. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Um, This is, is potentially... An important piece of work we're about to do. We're about to, you know, chart. We're about to produce a map, essentially, of the sweet spot of the Premier League era. I think uh, so. This is quite important work. Yeah, I mean, the, the the hand of history is very much on our shoulders. I mean, yes. I don't, uh, you don't want to be uh, feel too weighed down by the responsibility, but you know, we've we've uh, put ourselves forward, and uh, we hope we don't let the public down. Yeah, there are literally thousands of people's perceptions of what we're about to talk about um, to live up to. So I really hope we do that. But before we do that, guys, um, it's the adjudication panel, the first one of 2021. First of all, Charlie, this is right at the top of my favourite examples of FA written reasons. It was their um, it was their very lengthy findings for the Kieran Trippier betting scandal can we call it that i don't think we can um it's 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 probably for other podcasts to wrestle with the professional ethics of this case but it's very much for this podcast to examine any case of football taking itself extremely seriously now in the depths of these of the pdf 
their very lengthy PDF of their official findings, was the brief definition of banter. This is how it went. Uh, the messages between the two men on 14th of July very strongly suggest that uh, MB would bet on the transfer and further that KT, that's Trippier, knew that he would. We simply do not accept that these messages would be read by KT as banter. There is nothing about the words used by the men which is consistent with banter as that word is normally <laughs> understood. The FA have ruled on what is banter. Yeah, it was... Um... I mean, there were so many great details from it. I mean, one of the WhatsApp groups being called Pint. Um, <laughs> pint singular. Just Pint singular, yeah. <laughs> According to our colleague Jack Pitbrook and Oliver Kay's report. And there were other ones as well, kind of similarly imaginatively titled. I mean, anything. It's always great, isn't it? I think we've probably spoken about this before. Oh, we haven't in the Wikipedia context of clearly quite lighthearted, jokey things being reported about in a really earnest way. And so this fits really neatly in that sweet spot of you know you've got whatsapp groups you know redacted emojis and this sort of thing it's just um yes it feels very <laughs> of its time nick the um the kind of preoccupation the the findings have with the emojis used by all the parties in this in this matter quite startling it, it, it's i mean we've spoken about this before in this podcast it's a bit like your grandparents talking about a PlayStation or something like that. It was just, it was that level of critical distance between the FA and the use of emojis that I just, I found quite jarring <laughs> throughout. Yeah, you can imagine the conversation about how how are we going to express these emojis in quite what is by definition quite a dry written report. <laughs> yes. So I don't mean, what, what, what do we write out? Do we write out winky face, thumbs up, mm. um, you know, that, that monkey's emoji thing? I don't know. Yeah. So I, I suppose they had to, um, you know, include them in there as with all these um written reasons joys i scrolled down to the bottom just to see who was on the panel and as always it was Stuart ripley who i imagine took just a great <laughs> joy in, in putting this all together because i mean fundamentally it's a it's a fairly victimless crime so that we're not talking about too serious a matter here and i just think it, whoever put that pdf together whoever wrote those hundreds of pages must have had a really really great time uh, not as much fun as we're gonna have today however second on the uh, adjudication panel agenda today nick is uh, Slavin Bilic has found himself a new job almost straight away, uh, which is quite fortunate for him. He's gone to FC Beijing Guan of the Chinese Super League, which is quite convenient. That there's always, always seems to be a job available in China, just when you know when you're at a low ebb. Well, this is the thing. I, I, I kind of feel like um, Slavin is um, sort of going to be artificially raising the hopes of any manager who thinks they're on slightly dicey ground, because I imagine they can say, you know, well. It won't be ideal if I get sacked from this, but there'll always be a job in China for me. But there won't always be a job in China. But yes. Slavin has just gone straight from West Brom to this presumably very well remunerated job in, in China. So mm. everyone else uh, who's in a slightly iffy position is going to be thinking, well, I'll just do what Slavin did. <laughs> I was quite surprised that the, the Chinese Super League was still, you know, still hanging on as an option for, for when you're, you know at a loose end from English football, but uh, it's good to see. I, I did look at their squad list and, and disappointed to find there weren't any Premier League journeymen in there for him to manage. So he really has cut all ties with, with the Premier League. However, Charlie, uh, one in, one out, because uh, while Bilic has got himself some, some fresh employment, uh, Mick McCarthy's Applewell adventure is sadly over after, what I think it was nine games. Applewell tweeted the announcement, um, and I... I understand I'm at the mercy of Google Translate here, but they tweeted it as a collaboration solution with Mick McCarthy. Apparently, his 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 reign at Applewell was was bad enough to warrant a cracked badge in the Daily Mail this morning. I, I'm not sure it quite qualifies. <laughs> I, I love the idea with that that the the issue here is Applewell, and that's what 
we're bothered about as if it's not just the fact that it's you know that it's an Applewell story not a Mick McCarthy story you know this this goes <laughs> way this goes way beyond just uh, Mick McCarthy it's like you know f- what's in the intray of the new Applewell manager and kind of the the seven things that went ro- that are wrong <laughs> yes. at Applewell at the moment good to see the movers and shakers in world football your, your Billiches and your McCarthys anyway third item on the adjudication panel this is an alarming well I don't know if it is alarming Nick um, but certainly quite quite a profound stat that emerged over the last few days Uh, Manchester City goalkeeper Zach Steffen is the first non-bald American goalkeeper to play in the Premier League (laughs) since 2002 it's been a what's uh, happening it's been a barren 18 years isn't it um yeah I I was when saying this I I did sort of slightly rack my brain as to uh, who they were counting as the last more hirsute uh, goal, American goalkeeper. It seems it is Casey Keller who, who while balding, was not uh, kind of voluntarily mm. bald. Um, and uh, you know, uh, harking back to his his days with a much more flowing mane. At, where where <laughs> was it? Was it Millwall? Yes. Millwall, yeah, and then Leicester. Yeah. I mean, so what, they, what? So they've like picked the moment at which he went from balding to bald. That's the cutoff because I'm sure he was in the Premier League till about 2004, wasn't he, Casey Keller? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure he didn't have the mullet in the Premier League. And to be fair, this stat plays fast and loose with the definition of balls. I mean, I mean, Brad Guzan, I believe, was, you know, elected to shave his head rather than was forced to by circumstances. I mean, as an expert in this field, I can I feel like I can uh, I can uh, I can make this judgment. But I, I'm I'm allowing the uh, the broad definition of it. But um, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe there's a maybe there's a kind of. Kind of handy aspect to being American and bald for, for Premier League goalkeepers, Nick. Um, Americans are generally agreed to be all action hero- heroes <laughs> and being bald just makes you more aerodynamic to go through the air. It's quite handy, surely. <laughs> That's a reach. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> perhaps, I don't know, do, do goalkeepers need to be the most aerodynamic player on the on the pitch? I would have thought that y- your, your nippy winger would be the, the, the most needed with, with a bit of smoothness on the old head there. No, you got to fly through the air, despairing dives, rushing out to uh, yeah. thwart a uh, thwart a striker. You haven't thought about this, have you? No, you haven't put a lot no. of thought into it. Mm, I have, surprisingly. <laughs> um, but what this what this um, wonderful nugget of information leads us perfectly into is the the main event this week, which is our attempt to find the definitive Barclays Premier League eleven. Charlie, I. I I realise, and I must confess to our listeners, this probably does feel a little bit lockdown part one, but but let's do this anyway. <laughs> Before we get stuck in, I think we need a kind of suitable soundtrack for this. So cue former Stiltskin songwriter Peter Lawler's late 2000s Premier League anthem, My Saturday Self. The illegal streaming anthem, as I, as I like to call it, Charlie. The overarching criteria for Barclays... I think it's quite a fascinatingly tricky concept for us to pin down. Um, I feel like everybody understands what it means, but uh, what is it? What does it mean to you? What is it? What, what kind of things are we looking for today, generally? Well, I think we're not looking for absolute elite. I think that's important to say. We're looking for people who have longevity, perhaps. Perhaps we have people who had a kind of disproportionate impact mm. compared to their ability. Um, and people for whom you can't really imagine them playing in another league, uh, you know, that they just feel so at home in the Premier League for whatever reason, be that they were there for a while, or maybe just while they were there, they did things that are so Premier League yearsy that um, you just can't imagine them elsewhere. 
Nick, there's a kind of inescapable kind of time element to this as well. I mean, there are going to be sorts of players and types of players that we talk about today, but I, I fear that Barclays is a is a particular sweet spot of Premier League history. You could probably argue it's somewhere between 2003 and 2010, or if you're looking at it from a pure sponsorship perspective, anywhere between 2001 and 2016. But, you know, if you had to pick a year, what, what kind of sweet spot year are you going for? Hmm. I it, it it feels very 2003. I think you, okay, you're, as early as that. Yeah, I think so. Well, I I would go slightly earlier than your time frame, but no, no later than 2011. I don't think. Hmm. And I okay. think that's that's. I mean, and I think that was that's probably pushing it. Um, I don't know. I think you you would possibly say the latest year. It could be would be the last year that Benjani was playing in the Premier League. I'm not. <laughs> I, I haven't. I confess, I haven't looked that up. So it, it may well be that he was actually secretly playing until 2016 or something like that. But mm. th- that that feels right. Yeah, his his name will almost certainly certainly come up today, Charlie. Um, the Athletics' Jack Pitbrook um, has given his contribution. His rather broad brush contribution he says basically harry Redknapp, rednap's portsmouth team and no one else um, maybe that is the vibe we're going for well, yeah i mean the, the, the yak when uh, nick was talking there about benjali i did just i just thought of him and he feels very much that kind of era yeah very much where they're kind of the latter andy gray period as well not 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 the kind <laughs> that's of that's how you live is. your life is it that's yeah. how you, that's how you benchmark your life was andy gray commentating yes or no I do kind of think of Premier League in those terms, kind of the Andy Gray glory days mm. and then the kind of middle period and then obviously towards the end. But I mean, he loved the yak and I feel in my head yeah. he kind of coined the yak. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think I think Jack may be on something with that that Portsmouth team. Even the, the TY sponsor um, yeah. felt somehow Soft very toys. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. Nick, as we go through this team, player by player, position by position. I feel like we probably want to avoid a repeat of the too good for the championship, not good enough for the Premier League 11 debacle, which, well-meaning as it was, was a PR disaster for the Football Clichés podcast. We don't want to repeat that. Uh, This is a well-meaning podcast and and, and we are are not out to... uh, demean anybody's footballing ability top flight or otherwise yeah we can't have another glenn whelan gate can we <laughs> no poor glenn whelan does glenn Maybe whelan feature yeah he's... yeah who knows Let, let's get a few technical details out, out of the way first um tactics i feel like all concept 11s must follow 442 even if that's not quite in the spirit of the era that we're looking at charlie but 4-4-2 it is, just just for the ease of kind of navigating mm. our way through the positions. Um, we could perhaps talk about formation at the end, given the tools we will have at the, our disposal. But um, we'll go with 4-4-2. Yeah, a final point to our listeners, really, before we begin. Don't quibble with the individual names here. I, um, this is about... Being Barclays <laughs> is a state of mind, isn't it, Nick? And uh, I think mo- our logic will shine through. Even if, the, even if the individual names don't quite satisfy you, I'm sure the logic will. It's a yeah, it's a it's a vibe essentially. There's no there are no right or wrong answers here, um, but just you know just how you feel. Right, let's begin in goal. And now picking up on again on, on what we mentioned in part one, I feel like Nick, our goalkeeper has to be bald and he has to be American. Do you have any quibbles with this? 
Well, I don't. Again, I don't necessarily have any any quibbles with the um, with the, the the logic. That is, it, it does feel very very Barclays, uh, and there are a number of candidates to to choose from. While you have urged people not to get bogged down in the specific names, it, it doesn't. <laughs> it do, the, let's get bogged those, down in specific names. Yeah, let's go. Let's get really get bogged down in one specific Bog name. Away. It it doesn't to, to me it's UC Askelainen and oh, okay. uh, I, I, obviously who obviously fills fulfills neither of those criteria. <laughs> so um, going with the spirit of this conversation, yes, you're quite right. Bold and American makes perfect sense. Going mm. against the spirit of it, you know you're wrong. It's UC Askelainen. <laughs> Charlie, so we've had bald Americans. We've had sort of slightly scatty Finnish goalkeepers. Mm. Who are you going for? Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one. I mean, I was thinking about, but they're a bit earlier, that era of kind of Paul Jones, Neil Sullivan, who I always mm. thought growing up were kind of one and the same person. Um, <laughs> they, they kind of looked like they were played by the same actor. Yeah, that, um, that, that's, a, that's a recurring theme. Like Any players who you think, you know, who could actually feasibly have been five or six other people, definitely part of the spirit of this. Yeah, and yeah. also also, also they, someone who was a stalwart at a lower club and then moved on to be second or third choice at a big club. Mm. That's okay. that's very that's very strong criteria. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Mark Schwarzer as well as yeah. one who came to mind. You know, someone who was very solid, very dependable. Played for played for a couple of different clubs, then did make that step up. Went to mm. Chelsea, and uh, he won the he won the title, didn't he, at Chelsea? Yeah. Um, in fourteen fifteen. So I'd say someone like him as well, but okay. alongside those Joneses and uh, Sullivans. Um, well, our listeners have thrown a spanner into the works. Sam says David James has to be in goal. He's somehow been good shit, a journeyman, <laughs> a mainstay, and a striker for most of it. If he turned up on the bench somewhere now during the COVID injury crisis, nobody would be shocked. <laughs> David James isn't a terrible shout, but you know, I, I, I just don't feel he. I don't know. I don't know what it is about him, but but I am swung towards UC Yaskalainen, Nick. I think you may. Yeah, he was on my long list, so I'm happy to go with that. UC Yaskalainen is the goalkeeper for our pure Barclays eleven. Very excited by this. Should give a nod as well to Sam mentioning there about you know uh, COVID. If there was a COVID injury crisis, it brings mm. to mind Scott Carson, who I think <laughs> a lot of people were reminded of his existence and the fact that he was at City by the fact that he has tested positive for COVID. Do and you think he... he just did it to feel involved. <laughs> <laughs> Remember me, yeah. um, but I mean, I he... could do it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he wanted to fit in with the rest of the lads. But I mean, there was a time as well where he kind of he had a bit of that trajectory, didn't I? I mean, obviously uh, Liverpool and then West Brom. But I feel he was knocking around for for quite a while in this sort of period. Yeah, but but Yaskalainen, it is, and also um, we've ticked an early box for Scandinavia straight away. So yeah, um, that's that's really handy for our for our Barclays Premier League eleven. Moving on to right back, Nick. I'm going to give you kind of two broad definitions of what I would consider my right back for this team to be and let's see if it fits um, you either want an out of position centre half who's been sort of deployed there to quell some sort of threat to the opposition or perhaps a kind of repurposed former winger I'm thinking Ashley Young what do you think? Hmm yeah possibly Young I would uh, again sorry I'm getting bogged down in individual names again but please Young, do please do uh, Young I'm not sure entirely fits that because he he was only repurposed as a as a fullback in his latter years okay. um, sort of I don't know post when would it have been 2016 something like that yeah you're right Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure he quite fits the, the criteria the out position centre back very much the case 
Um, I mean, I, I I don't know whether Jamie Carragher is too good for this um, for this kind of eleven, but I think he he would kind of fit into this kind of thing. Um, and the other th- the other thing that I think someone um, I I do have a, a list of clubs that I, I really do, or a list of <laughs> eras and teams that okay. I really do think need to be represented in this. So I've got um, Alan Kirbishley's Charlton's, Tony Pulis's Stoke, Arsenal circa tw- two thousand six two thousand ten, or as someone <laughs> put it on Twitter, Arsenal the banter years, which I'm not yes, sure I've ever really stopped, but still. Mm. Uh, you, Mark Hughes's Blackburn, Sven City, Redknapp's Portsmouth. And Sam Aldice's Bolton. So there are a few to choose from there. Um, mm. you, you could you could have Nicky Hunt, perhaps. Yes, that was. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I like that. Who? Yes, I do like that. He I, of Cristiano Ronaldo debut fame. Yeah. <laughs> who, who who I uh, recently discovered is actually still playing. I can't remember where, but he's still, Nicky Hunt is still a going concern. I think. Um, I think you. Someone may have suggested Lucas Neal as well. He's that's that's a good. That's a good I, shout. Um, he, I think he he would also fit a sort of certain niche criteria, which was quite good at a lower level club who was always talked about for a move to a slightly bigger club. Liverpool. He was always linked. I seem, to, yeah, he? I seem to remember him nearly moving to Liverpool at one point. So I think that that would fit quite nicely. Um, mm. And then there's Emmanuel Abue, which I think someone else someone suggested yes. as well, which I think is it would um, fit. Quite quite nicely. Charlie, um, a couple of other listeners, um, Con suggested Lucas Neal. Uh, he says he springs to mind because he was a captain, he was a shit stirrer, and he's just ultimately very Premier League. William Giles echoes Nick's thoughts. He says, we need a player who entirely sums up the Arsenal banter era. Could be Almunia, could be Senderos, could be Bentner, but I'd go with Abue. Now, Abue seems like a very strong contender for our right-back slot. Can we do better than that? Yeah, I mean, I wonder if another Arsenal right-back from that era, Justin Hoyt, might run him close. I mean, Abue was... Um... Was so like you need to have been a regular though. Maybe, yeah, but I, th- I think he, I think he then was a regular when he moved to wherever he moved to Middlesbrough. Maybe um, I'm thinking, you know, someone like Habby Bay, who I don't really, <laughs> I, I don't really know anything about him. He was just one of those names who seemed yeah. to sort of be around and kind of playing for a mid-level Premier League team for about a decade. Habby Bay would fill the criteria of um, having played for Redknapp's Portsmouth, and I say that. Not mm. knowing whether he actually did play for uh, Redknapp's Portsmouth, it just <laughs> kind of feels like he probably did. He's incredibly he, Portsmouthy. He might yeah. have done. Yeah, I don't think he did. But in spirit, again, it's it's if it's a state of mind, Redknapp's yeah. Portsmouth, much like yes. Barclays. I think in his head, he would have been there in spirit for years. Yeah, maybe we could have just read out the Wikipedia page for Portsmouth 2009-10, but that would have made for a great podcast. Uh, the only other name I've got to throw in here is a as a kind of repurposed centre half, uh, John O'Shea, mm. who I who mm. I think sums up an era of a bit like bit like Nicky Hunt, um, who who to me looks a bit like one of the goons in 101 Dalmatians. He just he doesn't look like he should be. He has the figure of a Premier League football, it's kind yet of two dimensional. Very capable. Yeah, exactly. And it's just kind of looking really ungainly, but also being incredibly good at your job at the same time, um, which I think sums up this era for me personally, for in pretty much every of these positions. Um, so I'd like to throw John O'Shea in there. But um, but for me, as the casting vote, it's between Emmanuel Abue and Nicky Hunt. And given the Arsenal banter era kind of aspect to it, I'm inclined to go with Abue. So he is our marauding right back. Well done to everybody who suggested him. Centre half. I'm moving sort of infield now. I'm I'm sure I'm breaking loads of rules about what order we should be doing this in, but this is how my heart told me to do it. So this is how we're bloody well doing it. First centre half. Um, this is the criteria I'm proposing. I want him to be a colossal man. I want him to have some sort of wall-based nickname. 
So my suggestion straight away is Robert Huth. Yeah, that, yeah, that. Um, I mean, I, I think he played. He would have played for Pulis's Stoke, I think. Yes. Yeah. So that that sort of that certainly fits. I don't know. Possibly disallowed because obviously he was. Um, he, he's his main triumph was winning the league with Leicester, which would have been, I think, a little too late for this. Um, yeah, that's this okay. Kind of... Longevity is fine. If, uh, if you yeah, survived, okay. if you survived the, the Barclays era and are still going strong, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. Um, uh, Robert Huth is is very acceptable. Um, I have a a, a kind of um, quite arbitrary criteria here. Of you could easily convince me he played in 1993, and you could also easily convince me he's still playing now. And the one that springs instantly to mind with that one is Sylvain Distin. That's mm. an, that's an incredible shout. Another Redknapp Portsmouth, I think. Another Redknapp Portsmouth. Yes. Yeah. My goodness, that's going to be hard to beat. Um, Charlie, before you before you venture into this uh, this minefield, I've got some names to chuck at you. Radi Jaidi, Nemanja Vidic, who I realise is an elite shout, but I still think fits quite well. Christopher Samba, Abdullai mm. Faye, not to be confused <laughs> with Amdi Faye, who we may get onto later. Harry Adams says you'd do well to beat a Richard Dunn slash James Collins centre-half par- pairing here. Uh, Stuart Armitage says Richard Dunn with the most Premier League own goals and the joint most Premier League red cards must have earned his way into this team. So, you know, Sylvan Distan Richard Dunn is is going to be a hard partnership to break up here, Charlie. Do your best. So I've got a slightly different subgenre of centre backs from around this period. Okay. The kind of um gobby loved organizing seems to just relish being a center back and what comes to mind here is Liam Ridgewell who just to me is the kind of apogee of that type of center back that emerged at this time (laughs) wasn't great but you know what an attitude and you know he's like he's always looking kind of telling people where to be and that sort of thing and I I feel like he was a kind of forerunner for someone like Gary Cahill who was a slightly more polished um, Mm. version of that so it's it's a move away from that kind of more physically imposing one, but maybe he could be complemented by uh, by Ridgewell, who would who would also learn from from a Jaidi or a more experienced head. This is great logic. The fact that you use the word apogee is has put you in great stead here. Uh, I agree that Gary Cahill is probably a little bit too late, um, but he's a good example of a centre half that whenever the camera's on him, he's doing centre halfy things like sort of jogging back really quickly mm. or pointing or pulling his socks up or just doing something really centre halfy all the time just on on Ridwell uh, he also mm. uh, another sort of slightly niche criteria which may not necessarily be era specific but he's he's he also fits into that category of player who's good for a sort of mid-level club that the fans of that club will try and convince other people that he's better than John Terry or mm. you know I, yes, I particularly remember uh, having uh, friends who were Villa and Liverpool fans and there was a long running argument over who was better uh, Ridgewell or Jamie Carragher the, and and the, the the Villa fan has just been never sure of more sure of anything in his life than that's um, such a good shout and also because this was the period where Arsenal couldn't defend so you were constantly having supporters or people in the media saying why don't they go after someone like a Liam Ridgeway <laughs> or or what was that there was another who was the Roger Johnson Scott Dan you know yeah, these yeah, are yeah. proper defenders this is what they need all three of them as well fulfill a very important criteria i think for one of our center halves for these for this Barclays premier 11 which is being tipped for england 
Mm. Being tipped for England is a huge part of being like a just a sort of a jobbing centre half in the Premier League. Do you remember David Weeter, who, oh, yes. who yeah, was yeah. tipped for England on the very very solid basis of having scored say three goals in quick succession in the Premier League, which makes you an incredibly uh, fearsome centre half, which despite it not being part of your job, um, he did. So then pl- didn't he then play for England? Doesn't he have a? Doesn't Weeter have an England cap? Bizarrely, genuinely don't know. I I, I don't want to call him a one-cap wonder just in case he's either a a naught or two-cap wonder. (laughs) uh, Producer Dave says he got in the squad. Okay. But he didn't play. That's always a nice spot to be in. Um, Let's let's talk about another possible subgenre of centre-halves before we make our final decision, Nick. I feel like there is space for a centre-half who had to go in goal once in an emergency and also is still playing at the age of 38. And that man is Phil Jagielka. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll accept that. I, I, also, the the one that would fit, I think, would fit into the had to go in goal once, and uh, the previous category of uh, tipped for England. Stephen Taylor, I've got I've got Stephen Taylor mm. in my head Ooh. wearing a, a a sort of ill <laughs> ill suited goalkeeper shirt at some stage. If anyone was going to so go in goal heroically at some point, it feels like Stephen Taylor would have done. Yeah. Although, uh, we're, hopefully, we're not just confusing it with that handball. With that yeah, whole this is the thing. thing. Incidents I'm, are always going to cloud this. Is this? Like, is this? Is that what I'm doing? Is that? Did yeah, he actually I, go I, in goal I once? Or? I don't know. I mean, he. It, it certainly seems perfectly plausible that he would have gone in goal. Yes, it does. Just, just for their pure Barclaysness, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, kind of apply my authority. Here. I think Richard Dunn has to be in this team. Um, he he oozes Barclays. <laughs> he boasts a couple of unwanted records. Uh, he's really massive. Um, he's played for a good cross-section of Premier League teams. So he's our first centre-back. To go alongside him, I'm I'm struggling to move away from Sylvain Distan. And I think you both at heart agree with me. Also, incredibly good-looking guy. I feel, just, yeah, we need yeah. some we need some lookers. Incredibly strong um, cheekbones, yeah. Yeah. And so I was reminded of a goal on Twitter the other day that he scored where he just suddenly seemed to realise he was like the quickest, strongest man in the world and just brought the ball out from <laughs> oh, defence yes. and then finished yes. beautifully. It was like, why did he just do that all the time? Just, yeah. It looks like um, a computer good balance. It's incredible. Good balance to our centre-half. Beautiful. One right-footer, one left-footer, yeah. both strong yes. in the air. It's very They're important. They're going to compete. They are going to compete in the late 2000s, definitely. So, um, yeah, this is, going, this is going swimmingly. But let's look to our left-back now. Charlie... My only criteria here was tiny, quick, great going forward and in the other direction. <laughs> and I'm, whilst we don't want to get too obsessed with elite performers, I can't look past Ashley Cole. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I guess that, that comes to the rub of it a little bit, doesn't it? As to whether, can you be too good a player to be considered truly Barclays? Um, I think you... I think you can, to an extent, generally speaking, because, of course, there is no more boring debate than the greatest Premier League uh, players of all time. I don't care. I mean, it, to me, it ruins the magic of players like Bergkamp. But as soon as I hear his name in that context, I switch off. I switch <laughs> off completely. So there is an aspect to that. Um, and as good as he was, I do still feel he embodies much of what we believe to be the Barclays era. But yeah, I'm, here to, I'm happy to hear other names. Yeah, I mean, I... I... 
I, I think someone like Paul Konchesky, <laughs> okay. uh, he, he was who instantly came to mind. Yeah. He, to me, he ticks so many boxes. I mean, as you say, he was small, he was quick. Mm. Good going forward, he was shaven-headed for that extra aerodynamism we were talking about And then just suddenly grew hair. And then suddenly nowhere. had hair. And it yeah. was like, was, was this a wind-up? Who are you? But, but also, like, he was quite... He was the kind of guy you feel would always be, like, kicking his opposition winger, like, yeah, left one in on him after the game kind of thing. And, and just, mm. you know, looked like a bit of a nightmare to play against. Played for a bunch of clubs. Got he's a big another, move as well. He did, yes. He moved to yeah. Liverpool, didn't he? He's another yeah. one. He's one of those where he's like, you can't believe some of the clubs he didn't play for. Like yeah. he just seems he just seems like he should have played for so many clubs. And I that mean, is a, that truly is a cornerstone of what we're looking for here. Like I can't, I still can't. Oh no, he did. Sorry, he went there on loan. That, that's what confused me. Okay. Never, he went to Spurs on loan. I was thinking, like yeah. in that period, he was in the kind of Kappa era. He was just mm. so the kind of player they were bringing in. So yeah, I, I would go Konchesky. Uh I think Ashley Cole's more a kind of Michael Cox players who defined positions kind of podcast. <laughs> okay, no, I'm, I'm I'm being won over here, Nick. Nick, uh, muddy this debate even further, can you? A couple of suggestions. Um, I, I'm, I'm adding two teams that must be represented here. I'm thinking the sort of Tottenham team of the sort of mid-late 2000s. So, I mean, you could take your pick there, I suppose. Eric Edman, Timothy Atuba. Yeah, Atuba. Also, I I know we have already sort of technically fulfilled the played for Harry's Portsmouth slot. But um, (laughs) Matt, Matty Taylor... Uh, I would suggest yeah. for this one. He, uh, I wasn't sure if he was a left back or a left midfielder. I had him penciled in later on, but uh, he, he later was, on as a centre mid as well, wasn't he? I think yeah. he. I, I think right. he. He was. He was both. I, I think he also. And this this would probably apply more to the left midfielder element. Mm. But he was also um, a someone who was often brought up to solve England's long standing left sided problem. That also is very important. Yes. That's we, also very important. Um, we should have a Frogger or a Guppy or someone at mm. some point. Yeah. Well, I mean, wingers, wingers is a whole different debate. Mm. But um, uh, interesting. Uh, Tom Victor says Matty Taylor should be there at least twice. So maybe we could just have him at left back and left wing, and that would be fine. Um, I, but I, I agree that this team is crying out for a Matty. Yeah. Or, or, a, or a Scotty or something. Or, something. A, or a Scotty. Yeah. yeah. So a... now. Now I'm thinking it's a toss-up between Matty Taylor and Paul Konchesky. I'm I, I, gonna... I think Taylor's more... I think, sorry to button, I think Konchesky's more pure left-back. I mean, he is just so <laughs> left-back, isn't he? Whereas Matty Taylor can, can play anywhere. Whereas, you know, if you cut Konchesky open, he'd be <laughs> gritty left-back. Perhaps we are going to spend too long on left-backs. I, I, I was going to throw a spanner into the works and say perhaps we should think about right-footed players who have, been, who have played at left-back, which is very... Barclays era because you'd never get that now because their fullbacks are so important mm. and um, it's very but, Sunday league well I mean like Gallas at Chelsea who was almost it excelled as a right footed left back but it looked incredibly awkward it's kind of like the Nicky Hunt situation where he looked like he shouldn't be doing what he was doing and yet he was achieving it um, but, I, but I don't think we've got time for that particular spanner I'm going to rule and I'm going to go with it's Paul Konchesky it's Paul Konchesky yeah. he is our left back for our Barclays 11. Right, over to the right side of midfield, everybody. I, again, not sure if this is how it works, but that's how I've done it. Nick, my player here, who I want here is all pace because the Premier League is, is perennially obsessed with pace and always has been. And then hand in hand with that goes this concept of end product. So you want someone who has a cataclysmically 
inefficient end product. Uh, the name Dennis Romadal. Because mm. when you're talking about his pace, anyone who's got anyone who, whose pace is so high that their their hundred meter time yes. is frequently cited yes. in any article about that. <laughs> Literally, what I was thinking <laughs> completely unfounded. Like no records, probably hand timed. Who knows? But yeah, Dennis Romadal. I think I know what. I think it was it ten point two. Was that what he was supposed to be clocked? <laughs> no to way was it that knowledge. Quick. Come Guys. on. I'm pretty sure he was said to have clocked to 10.2. Lord knows where or when. Oh, God. Uh, Which reminds me of the um, perennial um, article we get every season about the player who's produced the fastest sprint times. Oh, it's it's Phil Phil Jagielka again. Yeah, Yeah, Nick, so uh, the pacey right-sided man man is Dennis Romadile. I would also accept kind of reliable, functional wide man who'll do a job. And I'm thinking Mark Albrighton. For for two particular reasons. One, because, as I say, he's reliable, he's functional. He also has um, a kind of James Milnery, potential James Milnery feel about him. Like, he could go on to be someone's stalwart in several positions. And also, and I feel like this is a very important thing to boast for this team, he scored the 20,000th Premier League goal, <laughs> which is... which. Um, when I look through the landmarks of players who scored certain numbers of Premier League goals, you're either incredibly good, like Henri or Ferdinand or something like that, or you're just really just, you know. You're there. And uh, he scored the 20,000th Premier League goal. So, but I also, before you before you finally get to answer this, I feel like we should have a set-piece specialist, and that's Seb Larson. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I did, um, when you uh, you put the document together with your suggestions here, I was going to nominate someone for the right wing, but... Romadal, uh, I can't, I can't really make a case for anyone other than Romadal. As you say, genuine pace. He's got genuine pace. <laughs> genuine pace. Uh, as I think <laughs> there's been covered on this podcast before. But I, th- I, I, I think he also fulf- fulfills the criteria of um, excelling at a, a major tournament at some stage. And I'm not sure if he got his move to the Premier League on the, on the basis of that. Um, I can't, couldn't even. Instinctively, I'd say the 2002 World Cup, but I can't even really... I think it was Euro 2004, maybe? Right, okay. Well, around that era, yeah. Um, mm. uh, yeah, yeah, I think he would. He very much fits the uh, criteria of um, signed perhaps hastily on the basis of a few games at a tournament. I think whatever the circumstances of his move, I think getting a Premier League move on the back of a overblown major tournament performance is very much at the heart of this eleven, and we're definitely going to have one or two contenders for that. Um, so unless, I mean, Seb Larson, I, I, I do like Seb Larson's suggestion. Yeah. I also, I mean, I, I also think Albrighton um, is, mm. is an important one because I feel there was a a emergence of those wingers who were kind of there to compensate for the excesses of the guy on the other side so so, so like latterly at Leicester you had Mares doing whatever he wanted where Albrighton was very important to kind of balance that out um, and okay. the, you know at Spurs you had someone like Darren Anderton a bit earlier because Ginola was over on the left just mm. kind of wreaking complete havoc and Anderton offered you know a lot more kind of positional sense and that kind of thing as well as having great delivery of course oh, I'm really confused I'm really confused um should we say Albrighton? Albrighton's just got a, just a, a roundedness about him. I feel like he probably made his debut as a fifteen-year-old or something like that. So, uh, <laughs> so that adds to the allure. Um, just the yeah, the never-ending Mark Albrighton. Um, yeah. Yeah, I wonder how Could old be a he is now. He's, he's probably not even that old. Like thirty-three or something. Thirty-two. I, I don't think he's even that old. I would say thirty-one. Thirty-one. Yeah. Yes. Fair play. Thirty-one's a good age. 
yeah, okay, all Brighton it is. Let's 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 move on. First central midfielder, Nick. I suppose this this is a fundamental criteria. He needs to be one of the most boring players imaginable, right? Gareth Barry. You you certainly need certainly need one of those a. a um... A functional player who everyone always says has um, made the most of their talents, which I know, I know Gary <laughs> Neville is usually usually the kind of go-to for for that. For you know, if only X player with natural talent applied himself as well as Gary Neville. But yeah, someone like Gareth Barry, as you suggest, is seems like the 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 the, um, the kind of perfect centering of this team. But you've got you've got a point to make here. You've you've got um you're you've got quite an in- intent to stamp on this one. I I see. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I while we have to, we've talked about the absolute elite, it it does feel like we need a, one kind of unambiguous great. Um, mm. But I think possibly one of, but crucially only one of, and it doesn't matter which one, Gerard or Lampard, <laughs> um, okay. or possibly. Possibly also Paul Scholes because mm. um, you know it's obviously become a, a long-running punchline now that uh, mm. you know someone some lofty foreign player will say the best player I played against Scholes of Manchester, um, <laughs> which is always used as ammo for people who argue that the Premier League is the greatest league in the world. Well, even mm. you know Figo says that uh, one of our own is um, is the great. So I, I think I would push for for someone like uh, a yeah. Gerald or a Lampard. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be persuaded that they're not necessary. Yeah, I just I, when you think of a of a Premier League engine room, Charlie, it's it's a distinctly unglamorous place. I I know that Premier League midfields benefit from a, you know a, a good source of goals, um, but there is also a good source of of um, mediocre. Uh, <laughs> oh, I've said it. I've said the word. I've said the word oh. mediocre. Oh no, the, the podcast. Glenn Whelan. I've got it. Um... <laughs> no, don't say his name. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I know what you mean, and I was th- Lee Catamore came to mind for me mm. as a kind of dogged um, yeah. ball winner who I feel maybe we've moved on from it a little bit, but at this time certainly we were still deifying that kind of behaviour of kind of you know snapping into tackles and that sort of thing. I mean, also a, a, a different genre as well is the kind of Ivan Campo, mm. um, someone who was you know, I mean, very much in that Allardyce sweet spot of bringing in your Hieros, your Campos, etc. Um, and he, yeah, that kind of slightly washed up, faded um, mm. international, but who was that, who was actually then really quite good. Um, Campo was an interesting situation because obviously, I, I'm pretty sure he was a centre-half at Real Madrid. I could, I could be corrected. but By uh, but, trade, I believe Yeah, but he was, was. just so, clearly too good to play there in the Premier League, as was. So he got mm. shunted into midfield where he stuck in the odd 35-yarder whilst being grossly overweight, um, which <laughs> all of which all of which are great credentials for this team. Um, I just, oh, two-guy as well. I mean, of that, yeah. of that kind of... Um, just incredibly good player. Yeah, I, again, yeah. doesn't discount you, but I, I feel like we need a, a, a functional kind of booking magnet. Well, that's Catamore's where Catamore... shout. Michael Brown. That's I like Michael Brown. Yeah, Claudio Jacob. Now was he not a bit late? I mean, maybe that's just yeah, I think of him with a Deli Alley punch, but yeah. he, he he feels a bit more modern. But yeah, Michael Brown. Maybe you're too late. Michael Brown satisfies Nick's um, Tottenham of that sort of banter period as well. God, Spurs as well. Yeah, and there's yeah. Nigel Rio Coker as well. I mean, whilst being none of the things that we've spoken about already, yet also feels perfectly right for this position. Two guy also fulfills the um, the Liam Ridgewell criteria of the fans of that club telling you that he's you know he's better than X high profile player or you know he's the 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 one that they always look 
back on fondly and wonder why didn't he get a move to move to a big club? The answer to the case of two guy, of course, was that he was thirty five for about eight years. <laughs> yes, well, in that same bracket of you know Kevin Nolan, I would say is someone who fans thought mm. you know why is Ke- Kevin Nolan is someone he's getting you know close to double figures in the Premier League every season. Why doesn't a bigger club going in for him? Yeah, he's unfashionable. You know that sort of <laughs> that, uh, yeah, yeah, that dynamic. I mean, yeah, there's a there's a long running thread of of people. Why haven't a big club in, come in for them? In, in all stratas of football, Eddie Howe as manager, Kevin Nolan. There are reasons for it. There are somewhere somehow there are reasons, and and that's all. And they might be unfair, but that but they exist. Let's assess a few other options before we come to our partnership. Also in our centre midfield, Nick, I feel this is a very mid two thousand two thing. I feel like we do need a kind of colossally built star of the Africa Cup of Nations, anchoring our midfields. Um, Pap Bouba Diop, the late great Pap Bouba Diop, comes into the equation here because it, it, this was partly Makaleli's fault at Chelsea, but it, it felt like the, the legacy of his impact at Chelsea was that everybody else in the Premier League decided they needed someone massive. Whilst Makaleli wasn't a huge guy, but he someone massive to do that job, that screen. Because, and I, I do feel like this is a thing. It just made fans feel safe. This concept, whether they were good at football or not, and in all cases they pretty much were. It's this concept of having a screen in front of your back four made everyone go, oh yeah, that's great, we need that. Yeah, it also fulfils your uh, previous criteria of, of having a um, a nickname that uh, evokes size. <laughs> the wardrobe, yes. of course. The wardrobe. And having been signed after a major tournament, after yeah. starring at a major yes. tournament. Yes, yeah. So yeah, he went, hopefully that was straight after the 2002 World Cup. So I think he's got a strong case. Uh, I also think, Charlie, that we should we should be looking for players who are a surprising source of consistent goal scoring. Kevin Nolan, as you said, Tim Cahill, yeah. Zoltan Gira, Stephen Pienaar, who I suspect looks like he was a consistent source of goals, but probably only scored about two a season. Yeah, One I think of, of him as more a kind of some more goals to yeah him. three and thirty-one kind of cat. <laughs> yes, but there were, um, there were big goals, like that goal he scored in the the four-four. The, um, the old Trafford yeah, one. That's yeah. like worth ten yeah. in people's yeah. memories. Yeah, the aforementioned Andy Fai, who who I think falls short here. Do we want Nolan? I think we all want Nolan, right? I yeah, think, I think yeah. I think I think Nolan. He he really does typify that era. Lasted a long time as well. Had a few moves. Mm. Yeah, we, we can't have him and Tim Cahill, but I will go for Nolan. Uh, and that leaves us. We need our midfield screen. So, are we having Gareth Barry or having Pap Booba Diop? I think Diop's more fun. Yeah. Yeah, we got the major tournament angle there, haven't we? Yeah. And uh, did he play for Portsmouth? It's almost certain. Yeah. Yes. Probably. Uh, former Portsmouth midfielder Pap Booba Diop. Uh, joins Kevin Nolan in our well-balanced midfield, I'd say. we This this team is a huge threat at set-pieces, that's for sure. Anyway, over to the left wing, the exciting, potentially uh, explosive part of this team. Um, Nick, we know how fetishised left feet are, left boots. So that's kind of... I feel like that's a, a no-brainer. They, This guy should be a mercurial pain in the arse. I'm thinking Laurent Robert. Yeah. Laurent Robert also... Did he play for Portsmouth? Yeah, yeah. Yes, he did. So. Good <laughs> he did. grief. And um, he also he also fulfills a category of, uh, like you said, player who's famous for... predominantly famous for playing for one club, but had a series of spells at other clubs that people mm. go, hey, did he play for... Th- he did. We did play for them. These, mm. It's the um, 
the Fabrizio Ravanelli having played more games for Derby than he did Middlesbrough yes. um, <laughs> uh, theory. And uh, uh, Lauren Robert did actually play for Derby as well. So uh, we got Derby. Portsmouth. Oh, he did. He was in their 0708 famous yeah. um, oh, fewest points ever team, wasn't he? Jesus, mm. he, he really is covering a lot of bases here. Um, Charlie at Noah says, Morton Gamst Pedersen. Can you get more Barclays than that? I like I mean, Gamps Pedersen as a shout. I think that's... Yeah, we do need to top our, our Scandinavians as well. So, yeah, this is going to be really tough. Um, I would just throw in someone else as well. And may, and yes, he probably peaked a little bit earlier. But Harry Kuehl, I think, of someone who... He was... He and others were described... Even at this time, it was talked about there was a dying breed of kind of out-and-out left-wingers. You know, mm. left-footed left-wingers. And we're talking here, what, like 15 years ago from now. Mm. And I remember him being um, fated as someone who... Who who was that? Yeah. Um, and another one who I think is just is uh, yeah very Premier League and was slightly mercurial. I mean, you know, he never certainly at Liverpool he never quite um, delivered on a consistent basis. Though did play in the Champions League final. He also fulfills a sort of niche criteria that was maybe uh, has been a perennial one, but for having a notoriously scumbaggy agent. Um, <laughs> whose, whose name escapes me, but I, I remember there was a lot of outrage that he, that, that, that you know, he was, he basically took money off Leeds when they were on their knees, and you know they didn't get as much of a transfer oh, right. fee from Liverpool as they should have done because, because their agent, because uh, because his agent wanted a, a, a you know a, a fat cut of um, any any fees that were going back and forth. So yeah, that that's that that fulfills quite a nice category. Yeah, That's good, uh, yeah, meddlesome agents definitely a part of this. Um, let's throw some other names in: Stuart Downing, Charles and Zogbia, Ashley Young, who I think has, uh, you know, in his sort of Villa Watfordy days had a kind of spell over on the left wing. Mm. I'm finding it hard to look past Morton Gamps Pedersen, um, not necessarily yeah. from a footballing perspective, just for an overall vibe sense. He, we have yeah. to have him in, don't we? He, he's he was always one of those players who. Someone said, "All right, what's your best eleven in the Premier League right now?" You'd stack it full of United, Chelsea, and Arsenal yes. players, or whatever, and then Gamps Pedersen would be the left winger that you'd put on as a sort of nod to a a smaller team, um, and and then and then sort of internet narratives would kind of uh, stroke their chin and say, "Well, actually, he's a bit of a highlights player. <laughs> <laughs> Very good on match of the day, but when you actually mm. watch that Blackburn games, he goes missing for a lot of the time." Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and. I think the it's fact true. that we he... didn't pick Seb Larson at right wing means we have to have Morton Gamps Pedersen. We have to have one or one of those players. He's in. Apologies to Laurent Robert. You did your best. Um, but this is a functional team, I'm, I'm sorry to say. And Gamps Pedersen has that kind of set-piece ability. And and will win you one player of the month and one goal of the month every season. So at least, at that's least. it. That's what you want. Can I, uh, can apologies I make also a... to Matty Taylor. Can I make a very late case for one of the... Because uh, this is this is I think this is really where we can crowbar in someone from the Sven era Manchester City. Uh, <laughs> okay, you, you could you could have Alano, you could have Giovanni, mm. you could have Martin Petrov. Yeah, um, I don't know whether Petrov, yeah. w- whether we could get someone in 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 the sort of striker position, but um, you know, I, a lot I, it of is, competition for places at this football oh, club. This, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is where the sub bench is going to come. The subs bench is going to come very handy here. I'm I'm very happy to have one or one or two of those. Oh, we're definitely doing nine bench. subs, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we're going to go for nine subs. Uh, anyway, we're knocking on for almost an hour here, so let's crack on to the most exciting, the business end, if you like, of this team, which is our strike partnership. Charlie, 
I want one of my strikers to be a flash in the pan import. And to me, that screams only one name, and that's Amazaki. Come on. Amazaki, who I remember a friend of mine at that time debating whether to get him in his fantasy team. And we had a long debate as to whether he... This was when he had, like, absolutely, you know, set the world alight. And we had a long debate as to whether he was going to be a flash in the pan. I'd like to think I was on the side of the debate that was saying he absolutely will be a flash in the pan. But it's perfectly possible I would say, no, no, this guy's this guy's the real deal. Um, but yes, he, he is really the gold standard for that. I mean, kind of scoring seemingly a couple of goals every game and then just completely fell off. He ticks a lot of boxes, Nick, because, again... Instant impact from for an unfashionable club came from sort of seemingly nowhere. Was con- I th- I'm fairly sure he was reasonably popular uh, amongst the fans of his club and you know onlookers, and then sort of went out in a in a in a blaze of controversy or at least quiet controversy. So he ticked so many boxes, but just to rubber stamp his flash in the panness, I distinctly remember a few years ago stumbling across his Instagram page. And the last post on his Instagram page, which which had been about sort of three or four years previously, was him playing for Wigan, winning a corner. And then that was the clip, him winning a corner for Wigan. And then underneath the caption, never give up. <laughs> I mean, was he, even, was he even chasing a lost cause or was it? Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, he was a prime chaser of lost causes, mm. uh, bustling. But what just, was... Yeah. Because didn't he? What was his controversy? I mean, didn't he have one of those classic that he refused to come back mid-season yeah, or yeah, something exactly. like that? Yeah, refused to come back yeah, from international okay. duty. That's mid-season. crucial. Yeah. yeah, which is which is so Barclays' behaviour. It's, it's, yeah. it's like in your contract as a Premier League footballer in the late two thousands to not come back from international duty at some point. Well, also, isn't there a, isn't there a Barclays thing as well with the you know thinking like Rubinho as well that what happens mm. is you're really good for the first few months, but then yeah. as the winter months set in, mm. you don't. Much like the climate, and you go home, be it for a holiday, yeah. a perfectly granted holiday, or an international, and you don't really much fancy coming back. <laughs> Which I think people are kind of yeah, expecting it's... will happen to Hammers in a sort of modern uh, yeah. twist on that fable. Can't get away with that in 2021. It's that's no. pure 2008 behaviour. Um, Charlie Joe Martin writes this as Rocky Santa Cruz. In 2007, a Paraguayan striker was pretty exotic. He had the proverbial great touch for a big man, scored some superb goals, played for peak Barclays Blackburn Rovers before moving to newly minted Manchester City, then fell off the face of the earth, a.k.a. went to Malaga. That's a strong case. And quite a, feel like quite a big Mark Hughes influence at both mm. of those clubs. Was he signed by mm. Hughes at both of those clubs? So, yeah. And I think, you know, as has been meant, it feels like Hughes needs some representation here. He was... You know, big part of that Barclays era. Yeah. I'm happy to have Rocky Santa Cruz on my bench, but I can't see him unseating Amezaki. Nor Joe Patch. Can I see Diamancy Camera? Uh, can't put my finger on why, but he just feels Barclays. Ah, he's, ah, it's, it's not for me. Uh, Nick, are you happy with you're happy with Zaki as our as our first striker? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do yeah. It. I mean, it's, Santa Cruz would uh, fulfil the previously mentioned handsome quota. Um, mm. And Diamante Camera, of course, the, the the scorer of that goal uh, for Fulham against Manchester City, mm. the game where they were famously kind of relegated at half time, scored the winning goal uh. to uh, to save them that game. But yeah, can't I can't really can't look past Zaki. Mm. Yeah, in vain relegation heroics, always good, as well. Um, 
our other striker, um, this may be an open and shut case, but we do have some fan- uh, fantastic options to look at. We mentioned him right at the very start, Charlie, and that is Yakubu. He's in for all sorts of very, very solid reasons, uh, as well as the fact that if we if he was up front with Zaki, then we'd have some sort of portmanteau situation of Zakubu, which works just almost mm. too well. Um, but, but he he ticks, as we said, he ticks a thousand boxes, as well as uh, the fact that he's a striker who just never seemed to go away, no matter how many teams decided that he was surplus to requirements, and um, just hovers in the top twenty Premier League goal scorers probably. I was going to say, well, yeah, he did. He did seem to continue scoring goals. To be fair to him, I mean, even when he was like seemingly completely finished and at Blackburn yeah. in that like dreadful Blackburn team, he was mm. still scoring. Yeah, I mean, people talk about Nick. People talk about the knack of goal scoring, and and to laymen like me, just think ah, you need to have something physically about you to get into the positions. You need to be quick. You need to be big. You need to be strong. You need to be technically excellent. But some people just score score goals they just do it that's it that's that's what they're born to do and Yakubu, well he just did that yeah he's, he he fits nicely into the sort of um the the pippo inzaghi goal scorer without actually being very good at football um sort mm. of <laughs> kind of criteria um you know he uh yeah i can't i, I can't argue too much with with Yakubu, he's he's not my choice, as we might come to on to mm. in uh, a few minutes. But my choice for the second striker spot has absolutely no basis in logic at all. It's just <laughs> very much a vibe kind of thing, and breaks a lot of the rules that we've already set out in this um, uh, okay, in well, this podcast. I mean, the, this is a democracy, so we we should run through the the also rans just in case anybody pops up. Mike Edwards says, "Iconic Barclays player for me is a player having a much larger impact on the league in my head than they probably actually did in real life. So for that reason, Benjani up top. He's he's Benchwood, but we've got Rocky Santa Cruz. So I'm not sure. Uh, there's Kevin Davis, of course, who we should never discount from this equation. Mm-hmm. Tom Woodhead, I like this one. Mm, he suggests uh, later era Andy Cole, Charlie." He played for at least six Barclays clubs, his powers slowly ebbing away like a deflating balloon, <laughs> yet never even considered moving abroad. I also feel his relative lack of England caps recommends him too. That is a good shout. Sort of yeah, yeah, slower, I, I always, but still astute Andy Cole. Was there a more depressing kind of getting the band back together than the Cole-York partnership at Blackburn? <laughs> oh, God! And I, and I remember it being... And I was probably young enough that I did believe the kind of... Well, they've done it before. It do- yeah. Yes, they may not be as quick as they were, but they just know where the other's going to be. Yeah, they have that to left. And I probably <laughs> kind of believed it. And then, I don't know, like three seasons and eight combined goals later. Charlie, if you were telepathic, like genuinely telepathic, would you use your powers to just form a good, decent strike-by-strike <laughs> partnership at the, the elite level of English football? I don't think I would. I, I, I don't know, go to a, rob a bank or something. I don't know. Um, anyway, I think Nick, it'd be embarrassing so because I still wouldn't be that good. I'd kind of know where everything was going to but then just miss a ton of chances. It's just a crap use of telepathy, knowing that someone's behind you so you can dummy it. Not not good enough. Um, Nick, other names. John Carew, Mame Biram Diouf. Victor Anichibi, Kenwin Jones, Peter Odomwingi, Mido, but you have someone entirely different. Yeah, um, my uh, I think it was the first name that I came up with when this topic was mooted, uh, and uh, this is one that is individual for everyone, and it's just the first player you think of when someone says to you Premier League years, and for me, and I can't oh, really explain this, it's Mickey Quinn. 
Uh, whenever I think of Premier League years, I think of the 1992-93 season, I think it was 92-93, where um, certainly at the start of uh, the season, Mickey Quinn scored a large number of goals. And it always, always sticks in my mind um, that he gave an interview somewhere where he said he was the quickest player in the Premier League over three yards. <laughs> um, he said he could, you know, longer than that. If he had to go on, a, you know, stretch out the sprint a little bit more, then anyone was going to catch him. But he was so lightning off the mark that he, um, uh, he, you know, could beat anyone in a in a short sprint. Again, as I said, this follows none of the criteria that we very carefully mm-hmm. set out before, but it does set it does follow the criteria of it's just about a, a kind of vibe, and to yes, me, it- it's Mickey Quinn. No, it is a vibe, and he did have a good chant. He's fat, he's round, he scores at every ground. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, unfortunately, it just feels too early, too yeah. early for me. I'll accept I, I can't imagine him kicking around like the the sort of mid two thousands Premier League ball. I, that that just doesn't work for me. No. Um, but yeah, an honourable mention, honorary mention, in fact, to Mickey Quinn. Charlie, have you any other any other kind of Spanners to throw into the works here because we've got Amazaki and Yakubu up front. That, that's fine, isn't it? <laughs> that's going to do you well for eighteen months flat. It's, it's tough to be. I'm trying to think. Were there any kind of number tens in that era? Um, of a, I mean, like Gira was mentioned earlier. I think you know he's maybe more yeah. of an attacking midfielder. Hard to know when attacking midfielders became mm. kind of number tens. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Adebayor. He's maybe a bit. Um, yeah. Maybe a bit. We shouldn't. Too we shouldn't good, discount but... him just because he played for good teams. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. Because I feel I he mean, had. He... He, I mean, you know, it always attracted controversy and was yeah. blue quite hot and cold. Yeah. Um, I would. Um, I would. Uh, a couple of other names I might throw in. Michu. Um, yes. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in terms of a, a sort of number ten creative role, uh, I, 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 I'd quite like a player who um, was. A foreign player who's re- pretty good in the Premier League, but didn't really seem to get gain much attention in his home country, or mm-hmm. didn't seem to be particularly highly rated in his home country. I'm thinking your Carbonis, your Decanios, something like yes. that. Yes, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, a, a very good shout. Yeah, uh, Carboni also has the kind of um, the benefit of having played for a, a few slightly odd clubs that you forget about as well and, and being a, and scoring um, precisely three wonder goals for each of them yeah, yeah. And, and being a, the, the subject the s- subject of um of hubris by an overly ambitious small team bradford city of course <laughs> yeah um, yeah but it, it, i mean it is it is quite difficult to argue against the the, the yak and uh, and zach and the zach yeah. yeah quite right so after much toing and froing and some some genuinely fascinating debate, thanks to everyone who contributed as well. Here is our Barclays Premier League eleven, the defining eleven. In goal, UC Yaska line and a back four of Emmanuel Abui, Richard Dunn, Sylvan Distan, and Paul Koncheski. In midfield, Mark Albrighton, Kevin Nolan, Pat Boobadiop, and Morton Gamps Pedersen. Up front, Amir Zaki and Yakubu. Who's our captain, Nick? Kevin Nolan. Uh, it has to be either Nolan or Distan. Maybe Richard Dunn. Yeah. Nolan, Dunn, I think yeah. Nolan. Nolan getting sent off and passing the uh, armband to Richard Dunn as he goes off, perhaps. Charlie, we need a manager, really, to wrap this up. I think we all have the same name. Yeah, it's Mark mind. Hughes, isn't it? It's Mark Hughes. Has to be Mark Hughes. Standing there, arms crossed, looking very disappointed that his attritional midfield of Albright and Nolan, Boobity Op and Gantz <laughs> Pedersen just simply haven't managed to unlock 
the defence in front of them hauling off Yakubu after 60 minutes to bring on Rocky Santa Cruz for a different dimension um, <laughs> but yeah happy with that team it sums up a, a very particular but yet slightly undefinable era of the Premier League and that's exactly what this podcast was was born for um, thanks Nick your, your insight has been invaluable pleasure Thanks to you too, Charlie. You've watched far too many episodes of Premier League years. That's already been established. We know this. Yeah, but I feel proud of what we've achieved today and so should you both and so should everybody who's listened. Thanks, everyone. Happy New Year once again. Goodbye. (laughs) 